You know, I, I think about when I was growing up in a little small town called We Woke Up, Oklahoma. And I remember being in elementary school. And when I was in elementary school, my favorite subject in elementary school was recess. <laughs> Come on, where are you out there? Come on, where are the recess people at? And that was a class for me. Go out and play recess, and, and I'd play soccer out there, man, kicking the ball. I love playing at recess, play soccer, and we'd play tag, you know, just tag. And my favorite was freeze tag, trying to freeze everybody with freeze tag, freeze tag. And then I love tether ball. Anybody play tether ball? Oh, yeah, man, I love tether ball. I'd hit that ball to get it to wrap around the pole, and I didn't care who I was playing against. It could be a little boy or it could be a little girl in a pink dress with some bows in her hair. I don't care, girl. You better watch out. Poop. That ball is that ball is coming. I'm trying to win tetherball. And then I remember playing Red Rover. Any of you play Red Rover as a kid? Yeah, Red Rover. Listen, Red Rover, folks. If you never played Red Rover, it went like this. You, you, you would have five, six, seven people on your team. You would hold their hands. And then there would be another team of five, six, seven people. And they would stand about 10 or 15 yards away from you. And you would hold your team's hand. And then you would call somebody over. Red Rover, Red Rover. Send Jerome on over. And Jerome would come running. And your goal was don't let Jerome separate your team's hand. And Jerome would come running. We would hold hands tight. We might fall backwards a little bit, but we can't let Jerome in. And then if he couldn't break our team and separate our hands, he had to join our team. And then they would say, Red Rover, Red Rover, send Herbert on over. Oh, no, you didn't. The kamikaze is coming. The Red Rover King is coming. And I'd take off running and I'd be looking. I'm looking for the weak link. Oh, you weak right there. You weak right there. And I would run, kamikaze, I'd dive into there. I'd break those hands up. And then I would get to take one of their teammates after I separated their hands back to join my team. Red Rover, Red Rover. You better not send Herbert on over. Uh-huh. And can I tell you, the devil plays Red Rover. He's always sending a bunch of mess on over. The enemy is always looking, he's seeking, he's searching for a weak place so that he can separate, so that he can divide. The devil loves to divide. The scripture says this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, stay alert. Watch out your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking, seeking, searching for someone to devour. The enemy is looking to devour relationships. He's looking to bring separation. The devil is a divider. He loves to divide nations. He loves to divide cities. He loves to divide churches. He loves to divide Christians. He loves to divide friendships. He'll divide parents and children relationships. He'll divide siblings. The devil, he loves to divide marriages. The devil's always searching for a weak place to divide, to separate a relationship, to separate a friendship, to, to separate a marriage. He loves to divide. The devil is a divider, but come on, every location shout, but... But God is a uniter. The devil is a separator. But your great God puts people together. 
Scripture says it like this in Mark chapter 10, verse number 7. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife together, together. God brings people together, and the two will become one flesh together. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And God joined Herbert and Tiffany together in 1997. On December the 20th, 25 years ago, Tiffany and I became one flesh. And the Bible says, he who finds a wife finds what is good and obtains favor from the Lord. And there has been a favor on our life ever since we became one flesh. And I want you to know today, if you are a married couple today, God brought you together. God brought you together. And you may not even recognize it, but there is a favor on your life because of your union. And I'm here to say this to, to, to all of us today. Don't let the devil separate what God joined together. Don't let a demon, don't let a person, don't let a woman, don't let a man, don't let a problem, don't let a trial separate what God has brought together. After... 25 years of marriage, after 30 years of preaching, after Tiffany and I now pastoring People's Church 21 years, we have really just honed in on some of the enemy's greatest schemes to divide marriages. And today we want to expose the schemes of the enemy so that your marriage will work better so that your future marriage will work better, so that today principles that will help you even in a single season, we're going to give you principles that your relationships can get better. So let's do that today. Tiffany, welcome today to the stage. Would you welcome my wife as we dive in today? Hello, church family. The first thing is unresolved conflict separates marriages, but healthy communication joins marriages. Ephesians 4, 26 through 27 says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. And when we fail to deal with our unresolved conflict, when we fail to deal with our anger and issues in our marriage, we are giving the devil a foothold. And he will use whatever he can. He will use our conflict to drive a wedge of division between husband and wife. And I fell in love with Herbert my freshman year of college. He was godly. He was handsome. He was funny, charismatic. He was a hard worker, driven, full of dreams. This man, he had the confidence to say what he thought, and I couldn't get enough of him. In fact, if you ask me what I studied my freshman year of college, my answer, Herbert Cooper. <laughs> I wanted to spend all my time with him. We would talk on the phone for hours. We would eat meals together. We went to church together. We would walk around campus holding hands just to have a little bit longer. 
and I loved him. And in 1997, I married him, and we loved being married. But it didn't take long after saying I do to realize that there are challenges in marriage, and we were experiencing new challenges that we had not experienced in dating. And I remember one night, our first year of marriage, we went to our friend's apartment to play cards, and it started out fun, and we were having a good time, and then all of a sudden, it turned hostile, because Herbert and I are both competitive, and it was boys against girls, and the boys were beating the girls. But my charismatic husband, the one who I love, the one who says what he thinks when he wants to say it, turned on me, and that charm turned into annoying me and irritating me. And that whole drive home, I looked out the window, and there was an invisible barrier separating us. And so often in life, we experience conflict. Conflict in the challenges of life, conflict in finances, in parenting, conflict over unrealistic expectations and unmet needs. Sometimes there's conflict over broken trust, and even just who's going to do what for the family and in the home and in our life. There's conflict. But when we leave our conflict unresolved, it causes separation and it stacks. And I want to share that with you today. For instance, if you use hurtful words against your spouse, it creates separation. And then maybe you have an argument or a disagreement over parenting, and that separation just stacks. And then maybe you have a disagreement over finances, and it stacks. And maybe there's tension about unmet needs in your marriage, and it stacks. And it stacks one upon the other. And over time, you are separated with a stack of unresolved issues in your marriage. Max Lucado says, conflict is inevitable, but combat is a choice. Proverbs 12, 18 says, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. There are studies that show that there's a five to one ratio of positive things versus negative things. If you say something or do something negative to your spouse, it is going to take five positive things to counteract that one negative thing. And the negative has more ability to impact pain and to cause separation than the positive has to bring healing and to join you together. And today, your marriage might not be working because the ratio of unresolved conflict is greater than the ratio of healthy communication. Your words matter. Your words can separate, but your words can also join you together. So let's talk about this. We talk about unhealthy conflict, and we've had a whole lot of it, not just during that card game, but a whole lot of it over uh, 25 years of marriage. And there's been some unresolved conflict, and we had to now get it resolved. Let's talk about healthy communication, because it can really join you together. And, and the first thought is simply this. This is how you make your marriage work better. Be honest. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15 says, instead, speaking the truth in love. You have to speak the truth to bring your marriage together. See, you can get emotional, but that doesn't mean you're being truthful. You can say, I'm keeping it real, but you can keep it real and not be truthful. 
Being truthful requires being vulnerable. It requires sharing struggles, sharing frustration, sharing your pain, sharing your disappointment, sharing your lack of trust, sharing your desired expectations. You can't bring your marriage together if you have a lack of communication, a lack of being truthful with one another. You got to be truthful. You got to be honest. And the scripture says, I love this in Ephesians 425. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. And today, some of you are divided in your marriage, in your home, because you aren't truthful with your spouse. You're frustrated about something. They're not meeting my need, but they don't even know it because you're not communicating. You're not being truthful. And so your spouse is having to guess on what's wrong, on, on how to meet your needs, on how to make you happy. And you're not being honest. And it's putting a wedge in your marriage. I, I did this with Tiffany because of my own unhealth and my own lack of, poor, of, of communication, just poor communication. Separation was happening in our marriage in our early years. And so you got to be honest, be honest, be honest. But here's the second, be honoring, be honest, be honoring. How do you be honoring? Let's look at this. And we're going to unpack Ephesians chapter four for a few moments. Listen, Ephesians four will change your marriage. Ephesians chapter four will change your relationships. It's power packed with relationship principles. I'm going to share some of, uh, some of them with you about be honoring. Here's the first one. Be loving, be loving. Ephesians 4 verse 15 says, instead, speaking the truth, and some of you got happy about that part of the verse. Mm, tell them, speak the truth. In love. In love. We will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. You mature in Christ. You mature in your relationships by speaking the truth in love. Truth in love. Truth in love. Here's the second one. Bite your tongue. You're going to be honoring bite your tongue. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Being honest doesn't mean you say everything you think. Because some of what you want to say is what the Bible calls unwholesome talk. I call it being a fool. You can't say everything you're thinking and honor your spouse and marriage. Some of you, the reason there's separation in your marriage is because you talk too much. You say too much. You need to be quiet. You need to practice self-control. You're hurting your marriage and not helping your marriage. I, I know with Tiffany and I, that, that has been me. And I really had to learn to value how she was feeling, not just what I wanted to say. How am I making her feel? How do you be honoring, be loving, bite your tongue? Here's the third. Be a builder. Be a builder. It goes on to say, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. This verse is hard. That it may benefit those who, listen, are your words building up your spouse? Are they building your marriage? Are they tearing it down? Be a builder. Here's another one. Be kind. I'm telling you, Ephesians chapter 4 is so powerful. Verse 32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And some of you are being unkind. You're wondering why your marriage isn't working. It's, 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 it's pulling apart. It's because you're being a jerk. Well, pastor, I'm being honest. Yeah, you're honest and you're a jerk and you're mean and you're hateful. You're sharp and you're condescending and the enemy is using it 
to drive a wedge and he's separating your marriage. You got to be honoring, be honoring. And here's the last one. Be a unifier and a peacemaker, a unifier and a peacemaker. Ephesians chapter four, verse three says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Which do you value more? Think about this. Which do you value more? Being right or having peace? Because you can be right and be miserable. You can win the argument and be unhappy. You can be right and the devil is still separating your marriage. So you have to value unity. You have to value peace in your marriage and in your home so that you're not right and miserable, right and separated, right and divided. Let's look at this second point on what's causing marriages not to work and how to make it work better. Yes, selfishness separates marriages and serving joins marriages. And marriages aren't working when selfishness creates a me versus we mentality. And you might be sitting here today and you may say, Tiffany, how can I know if I have a me mentality? Well, I have a few things that you can think about. The first is, if you prioritize your needs and wants above your spouse's needs and wants, you have a me mentality. If you make decisions without considering how they will impact and affect your spouse, you may have a me mentality. If you only care about your spouse understanding what you think and feel, and you don't really care about what they think or feel, you have a me mentality. 1 Corinthians 10.24 says, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And if your marriage is all about you and your own good, you have a me mentality. And marriages, they aren't working when selfishness creates a consumer relationship. If you're asking the question, what has my spouse done for me lately? And that seems to be the question that you just ask over and over. Then you are focused on your own good and you're focused on your spouse doing for you. Doing what you want, when you want it, and how you want it. And consumers are focused on getting and not giving. That's a consumer relationship. And Oftentimes, when you're consumeristic, that relationship begins to feel transactional, and you're missing out on a mutual connection, a deeper intimacy, and a reciprocal love that you could have in your marriage. And marriages aren't working when selfishness creates a you're the problem mentality. And as people, we can be so quick to judge others' flaws and faults but not see our own. And we could be so quick to make a list of everything our spouse has done wrong while not even considering what we may have done wrong. Matthew 7, 3 through 5 says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. 
And in our most difficult season of marriage, I increased our separation by fixating on all of the things I thought Herbert was doing wrong, on what I thought his faults were. And I was so focused on him that I failed to look at me. And I would think things like, well, if he just wouldn't have done that, then I wouldn't be where I am today. Or if he was different, then I would be different. And I was so focused on me, my pain, what I was going through, that I couldn't see the big old plank in my own eye. And I'm telling you that I could not begin to experience healing and wholeness in my marriage until I got to the place that I was willing to take the plank out of my eye and look at my own faults. Let's talk about how to make marriage work better. So you've got this whole, this whole selfishness and you have to shift from selfishness to serving. You know, every year Tiffany and I, we go on a trip together uh, without our kids. It's a, it's a great time together. And one year, several years ago, we went to Boston, Massachusetts to go sightsee. And that's a picture of us in Boston. Look at us, those sunglasses on and smiling. And that picture is a lie. We didn't even like each other on that trip. We didn't like each other. We argued till 4 o'clock in the morning, just at each other, just, just didn't like each other. We were both being Selfish. And the worst part is when you're on a trip like that, you're just the two of you. And the next day, it was early in the trip. We got a few more days to go sightsee. I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus. Walk ahead of me, please. Walk ahead of me. What do you do when you're having those moments? You got to shift from selfishness to serving. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. So here, here we go. Here's some thoughts to help your marriage work better. Shift from a fleshly perspective to a biblical perspective. You got to get a biblical perspective. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says, love is not self-seeking. It's not all about me. It's not all about my wants and my needs and my desires and my happiness and my pleasure and my perspective, my feelings. Love is not self-seeking. Biblical perspective, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Such a hard verse. Or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, value your spouse above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each one to the interest of others. This will change your marriage. Get a biblical perspective. A marriage that will suffer and be divided is a marriage that tries to out-selfish each other instead of out-serve each other. You got to shift perspective. Here's a second shift. Shift from trying to change your spouse to changing yourself. You see, when we're being selfish, we're focused on what our spouse needs to change. And as Tiffany said, you spend all your time trying to get the little dust out of their eye when there could be a big old plank in your own eye. And so here's what we did in our marriage that helped us. We stopped focusing on trying to change each other. And we started focusing on trying to change ourselves. And then as we focused on changing ourselves, we inspired one another to want to change and be better in our marriage. Shift from trying to change your spouse to changing yourself. Here's a third shift. Shift from you need to understand me to I need to understand you. When selfishness is involved and in just in a marriage, the focus is all about me, 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 me. And I want you to understand me and what I'm thinking. But it was a game changer for our marriage when I began to say, I want to understand you. 
What are you feeling? What are you thinking? It's a shift. Here's another shift. Shift from what makes me happy to what makes you happy. It's a shift from selfishness to serving. Here's another shift. Shift from how you should serve me to how can I serve you? How, how can I serve your, just ask your spouse, how can I serve you? Like, you don't have to guess. Ask them. How can you meet their needs? How can you honor them? How can you help them? How can you participate in things they enjoy? You got to shift selfishness to serving. Let's look at point number three. Indifference separates marriages, but investment joins marriages. And so many marriages aren't working because people find themselves just existing in their marriage. They become roommates. They're not interested in their spouse any longer. They're just trying to get through day by day, taking care of what needs to get done, taking care of the kids, paying the bills, but the passion is gone and there is no connection. They feel indifferent and they have just accepted that it is what it is. This is as good as it's going to get and it's not going to get better. They have become indifferent. They have checked out and maybe they've checked out, um, but they're staying in it for the kids or they're staying in it so that they look good for other people. Or maybe they're staying in it because it seems too hard to start over but they're indifferent. And I remember when I felt indifferent during that challenging season of our marriage, thinking this is as good as it's going to get. And I didn't know what to do or how to make it better. But I loved Herbert. I loved being married to him. I wanted to stay married to him and I was committed. I was just feeling discouraged and indifferent, questioning what I should do next. And as I prayed and I prayed, um, I just continued to feel hopeless. And it felt easier to accept the disappointment than to feel the pain of trying over and over again. And the devil will use indifference to create a foothold of separation in your marriage because indifference closes the door on hope. It closes the door on believing it can get better. Indifference closes the door on trying, on working at it, on dreaming, on changing. It closes the door on communicating. And really, what indifference does is it closes the door on the possibility that it could be better. Indifference is huge. It really is. I think about, you know, over the years, I've talked to, you know, lots of married couples. And I've seen couples I've talked with, and they're just at each other. So what's going on? What's your side of it? Oh, my. Ooh. Y'all a little heated right now. I've seen that. And then I've seen couples that I've talked to and how you doing? And one spouse is just, ah, ah, and the other one. So what are your thoughts? And you know what? They're in a more dangerous place than the other couple who's arguing, fussing, and fighting and screaming because they still care. But when you get indifferent, you stop, you don't care. And, and listen, the, the longer you and your spouse have been indifferent towards each other, the less likely you will feel motivated to invest in your marriage. Indifference is real. And I love what Rick Warren says. Feelings follow action. It's easier to act your way into a feeling than to feel your way into action. 
Come on, sometimes you got to fake it till you make it. Like, I don't feel like investing in my marriage. I feel in different, but you got to invest. One of the best things Tiffany and I did during that difficult season in our marriage is we didn't stop investing in our marriage. We still, went on, we still went on date nights. We argued half of them, but we still went. You know what I'm saying? We kept talking, we kept communicating, we kept trying, and we kept working. And you got to keep working at it. Some of you want a miracle in your marriage, but you won't give God anything to work with. You got to invest. You got to do something. Start doing the things you used to do before you became indifferent. Let me give you some ideas on how to invest in your marriage. Now, when I give you these ideas, I'm not going to say anything that's rocket science. But here's the issue. Most people just don't do it. So I'm not going to say anything. You're not going to be like, wow, really? But the real question is, am I doing it? So here's, here's a few thoughts on how to invest in your marriage. Start dating your spouse. Start dating your spouse. Go on regular dates. Tiffany and I do it every week on Thursday nights. Give your spouse your undivided time and attention and talk. Put the phone down and have a listening ear with no distractions. Ask your spouse how they're doing in life. Listen and ask for more. I know that was big in our relationship, Tiffany. Just Yes, that helped a lot. I just appreciated when Herbert would listen to me, when he would ask questions for understanding. But even though he had answers for me, he just listened. He didn't try to fix it. He didn't try to tell me what he would do in that situation because I know he's full of wisdom and he could do that for me. But I, it just meant so much to me that he was just listening and letting me have a safe place to share what I was experiencing. Which has been just growth for me throughout the years, just asking, what can, I, what, can, what, what can we do better? What can I do better? Listen. Ask them what are their fears. Ask what are they dreaming about? And listen. Give your spouse a safe place to be honest, to be real, vulnerable, without judgment. Just, it's just key to investing in your marriage. Give your spouse compliments. What do you appreciate about them? Be specific. Give your spouse a compliment. Some of them are going to be shocked when you compliment them. You spend so long, but it's going to be a game changer. You're like, I can't think of anything to compliment them about. Come on, you can come up with something. Thank you for taking the trash out two months ago. I appreciate it. <laughs> like, start there. Like, start there. Just, just start, right? Right? G- give your spouse the love they desire, not just the love you feel comfortable giving to them. Learn their love language, the five love languages. Get the book, read it. Learn their Enneagram. Learn their personality type and how you can minister to your spouse. Give your spouse grace. Start overlooking little things that you've been complaining about. Listen, none of us are perfect. None of us. You got you to give your spouse grace. Forgiveness is so key in your marriage. You got to forgive. It, I mean, it's been key for us. It's key for us, yes. And whenever I'm tempted to hold a grudge, the thing that I think about is that I am going to need forgiveness. And I do not want Herbert to withhold that from me. So why would I withhold it from him? And when I have that perspective, it makes it so much easier to forgive. Give your spouse affection. Like you've been, you, you, you're indifferent, but start, you don't feel like a touch. Grab their hand. Give them a hug. Give them a kiss. Give them affection. Give your spouse sex. I just knew I was going to get an amen right there, but I'm going to move right along. I'm just, I'm going to move right on. Pray together. Pray together. Here's, here's something that'll be a game changer. Go on a three to seven day trip with your spouse without the kids. And just talk and plan. Have fun, but also work on your marriage. It, it'll do wonders for your marriage to pull away three to seven days. And say, so we're going to work on our marriage. And talk and get a marriage plan. 
Get a money plan. Get an intimacy plan. Get a kid plan. Get a resting plan. Get a, get a dating plan. Get a communication plan. I'll take you back to the words of Jesus. Mark chapter 10, verse 7 through 9. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Don't let unresolved conflict, don't let selfishness, don't let indifference, and don't let that sneaky, dirty devil separate what God has joined together. We can make our marriages work better in Jesus' name. Can I get a good amen? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for the help of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for the truth that we've communicated today from your word. I thank you as we've been vulnerable with our own life. I thank you, God, that marriages are turning around, that situations are turning around. I thank you that forgiveness is happening. I thank you where there's been unresolved conflict, Lord. People are making a decision. We're going to start communicating. Where there's been indifference, people are making a decision. I'm going to start investing in my marriage even though I don't feel like it. Lord, where there's been selfishness, I thank you that right now by your spirit, people are going to start serving one another. Have your way. In Jesus' name I pray. His eyes are still closed and heads are still bowed. I want you to know that there is a real devil and he loves to divide and separate. And the greatest separation that he wants to bring is you being separated from your heavenly father. He wants you to be distant from, from God. He wants you to live your own life and live wild and loose and just be separated from God. He lives for that. That the devil wants to separate you from a relationship with God. Some of you used to walk with God and serve the Lord, but the devil has come in. And now there's distance between you and God. You're separated from your Heavenly Father. You're living your own way. And today is your day to come back home. Today is your day to come close to God. Don't live separated from God. Don't live distant from God. Today is the day to have your sins be forgiven and come near to God. If that's you, as I count to three, if you're distant from God, you're far from God, the devil has been separating you from your heavenly Father. Today is the day for your sins to be forgiven, for you to be made right with God, for you to come close to God. As I count to three, would you raise your hand high? And I'm going to lead you in a prayer to draw near to God, to have your sins forgiven, to be made right with God, to come close to God today. One, two, three. Just shoot your hand high in the air today. If you've been separated from God and you want to come close to God today, I see your hand. I see your hand there. See your hand. So awesome. So our hands are going up around this building. See your hand. I see your hand there. Others, come on, Midwest City, Mabel Bassett, Northwest, Indianapolis, just lift your hand high. Online, would you just click the raise your hand button or write yes in the chat line? Yes. And you're saying yes to Jesus. Yes, I want to come close to God. Is there somebody else? You'll lift your hand high. You're, you're separated from God and you want to come close today. I see your hand there. Others today. Others today. I'm going to ask every hand that's raised right now to pray this prayer with me. Confess it with your mouth. Believe it in your heart. God's going to wash away your sins. You're going to come near to God. Pray with me now. Heavenly Father, I turn from sin. And today I turn to, to you. And I just thank you for Jesus, that he died on the cross and he rose again. And I thank you for forgiveness and grace and mercy. I thank you that I'm drawing near to you right now, Heavenly Father. And thank you for forgiving me of all of my sins and making me right with you. In Jesus' name I pray.